Reading our Bibles regularly can be a challenge, but we're all on this journey together. We're praying that this podcast inspires you, helps you better understand God's Word, and builds your faith. This is Join the Journey with your host, Emma Dodder. Thanks for joining. Today, we're reading 1 Kings 20, but we're specifically looking at the end of this chapter. What in the world is going on here? It's 1 Kings 20, verses 35 through 40. And as always, we want to use good Bible study method, a good hermeneutic. So we'll start exploring this passage together by making observations. Observation simply answers the question, what do I notice in the text? And typically, we make good observations by asking the who, what, when, where, and why questions. You can do this every time you study the Bible. Starting off with who. Who in the world is this guy who's going around asking people to hit him in the face? The ESV translation of verse 35 reads, in a certain man of the sons of the prophets. So who is this guy? a man of the sons of the prophets. He's part of some group called the sons of the prophets. Now, when I'm just observing the text, I'm not making any interpretations or seeking to look for any explanation outside of this specific passage. That's all we know about him here in today's chapter. He's part of the sons of the prophets group. That's the who. Now, what's the what? What's happening? What's repeated? Or what's emphasized? Well, what's happening is um, pretty simple. He's asking people to hit him. That's verse 35 and verse 37. And the responses to this request vary. When the first man refuses to hit him, the man who refused is attacked by a lion. That's verse 36. And when another man chooses to hit the prophet, the prophet's plan is set in motion. Verses 37 through 38. So the who? The guy who's part of some sons of prophets group. And the what? He's asking people to hit him repeatedly. And once he's hit, his plan is set in motion. And then the when. When did this plan really pick up? Verse 39, as the king passed by. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him. That's it. We're making observations. Simple as that. And we can honestly keep going through these questions. Now in verse 39, who's speaking? The same man who is asking people to hit him. What is he saying? Well, he tells a made-up story, verses 39 through 40, about how he is a soldier who is asked to guard a prisoner, don't let him get away, lest he be penalized. And then in fact, when he turns his back, the prisoner got away, leaving him with quite the hefty penalty to pay, be killed or pay an outrageous amount of silver. And what does the king say? Verse 40, well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have brought judgment on yourself. You've brought the judgment on yourself. Now, here's the interesting part. As we move into interpretation, as we move from asking what is happening to what does this mean, in order to understand the meaning, we have to understand the context. And one way we do this is by asking what's related. What is related? What what other passages or stories might impact, deepen, or strengthen my understanding of the text? Well, just earlier in the chapter, we read that Ahab, in a similar way to this made-up story, dealt with a prisoner of war. You see, Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria, and he was a male, he was a guy, and back when the law was given, the Israelites were told that if they went to war, all the males were to be killed. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 20, verses 12 through 14. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the little ones, the livestock and everything else in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as plunder for yourselves. And you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. 
So the gist is, Ahab was supposed to kill Ben-Hadad because he was a male. He wasn't supposed to let his prisoner, so to speak, get off easy. But instead, Ahab does the opposite. What does he do? Verse 34b, and Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and he lets him go. He lets him go. He doesn't kill him. He turns his back, so to speak, just like the guy in the story. Guilty. Now, why would he do such a thing? I don't personally know, but as good interpretation would have us do, we can consult outside sources. Consult outside sources to discover the meaning or the context. And in regard to this incident, one commentator said, perhaps the reason Ahab was so eager to make this treaty was that the Assyrian Empire was expanding toward Israel from the northeast. What happened to the man who refused to strike the prophet, verses 35 and 36, was exactly what would happen to Ahab and for the same reason, disobedience to the word of the Lord. Ahab condemned himself by what he said. God would kill Ahab for not killing Ben-Hadad. He would also cause Israel, which Ahab headed and represented, to suffer defeat rather than the Arameans. Ahab foolishly chose to follow his own plan instead of obeying the Lord. Obedience probably would have terminated the conflict with the Aramean army, the commentator concludes. So here's the deal. The sons of the prophet's groupie had an ingenious plan. The whole point of this hit me, make me look injured, I've been at war, I've lost my prisoner situation, was to show Ahab that he was guilty of disobedience. He didn't handle the king of Syria as God would have had him. But is this prophet guy legit? His message seems to be aligned with God's heart, hence the Deuteronomy reference. But what did it mean for him to be of the sons of the prophets? Well, again, When we're interpreting scripture, we can and often should consult outside sources, and the ESV Study Bible puts it like this. The sons of the prophets are not the physical descendants of the prophets, but groups of prophets usually affiliated with a more prominent prophet. Though groups of false prophets also exist, see 1 Kings 22.6, the prophetic groups associated with true prophets, such as Samuel and Elijah, are never viewed as false prophets, but rather as servants of God, and therefore they must have received special revelations from God, which is a requirement of a true prophet. See Deuteronomy 18.18, Jeremiah 14.14, and Ezekiel 13.1-3. All that to say, The guy who's going around asking people to hit him is legit, which is why the first guy got attacked by the lion. He ignored an, albeit, strange revelation from God. Ahab was guilty because he turned his back on the king. He let him off easy when he should have been killed, thus disobeying God. And lastly, the strange guy who went around asking people to hit him helped Ahab understand his guilt and the weight of his sin. For whatever reason, Ahab must have needed this very dramatic illustration to help him see that he was disobeying God. He was guilty. And I think that raises a good question for us. How challenging is it for you to see your sin? Are you actively aware of the ways you fall short? Not just in a general sense. Sure, we're all sinners. We all fall short. But in a more specific sense. What sins do you need to confess and repent from this week? today, this morning, or this hour? Are you able to see your sin? Are you resisting the Spirit, Acts 7.51? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30? The Got Questions website puts it like this, Quenching the Spirit speaks of stifling or suppressing the fire of God's Spirit that burns within every believer. 
The Holy Spirit desires to express himself in our actions and attitudes. When we do not allow God's Spirit to be seen in our behavior, when we do what we know is wrong, we suppress or quench the Spirit. We do not allow the Spirit to reveal himself as he wants to, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Both quenching the Spirit and grieving the Spirit hinder a godly lifestyle. Both happen when we sin against God and follow our own worldly desires, living as we did before accepting Christ's salvation. The only correct road to follow is the one that leads the believer closer to God and purity and farther away from the world and sin. Just as we do not like to be grieved and just as we do not seek to quench what is good, we should not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit by refusing to follow his leading. That said, Are you acknowledging what God says is best, or are you ignoring his leadership in your life? The difference between God's people back in the Old Testament and God's people today is that we have his spirit residing in us, empowering us to walk obediently, to see our sin, and respond accordingly. So the question is, will we do it? That's all we've got time for today. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. The Join the Journey podcast is produced by Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. You can learn more about Watermark by connecting with us on social media. Just search Watermark Church, all one word. And to read along with us, visit jointhejourney.com. And thank you guys for listening.